Do Good Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. Welcome to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. I'm Pamela Escobar. In each Do Good Charlotte podcast, you will find out who's helping, who could use a helping hand, and just how you can spread around your own good. In this episode of Do Good Charlotte, we're going to meet Stacey Sims, broadcaster, podcaster, speaker, and author of the world's worst diabetes mom. Her son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in December of 2006, one month before he turned two. Stacey began writing about diabetes one month later and is now a community blogger and speaker. And we'll inspire you to do good, Charlotte, by the various ways you could learn more about juvenile diabetes and how you can support that community. Stacey Sims, welcome to Do Good Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. So Stacey, I want to talk about what your life was like before December 2006, <laughs> because I think that um, for, for big things like this, for something like this, there's definitely a before and after. You're very much in the after, and we're going to talk about that. But when you think about your life before that, how different was it? I mean, I'm guessing you weren't thinking about diabetes in oh my any gosh. way. Oh no, not at all. Life was so different. It's funny to look back on it. Okay. So in 2006, I was working at WBT, News Talk 1110 WBT. Um, and I was there, I started there in 2002. So I, by that time I was rocking and rolling, doing the morning news. I had uh, two kids. My daughter was had just turned five. My son was not yet two. So like most parents of very young children, it was a zoo and a circus, you know, and a roller coaster all in one. But we had a rhythm. We were working it. My husband owned and operated a restaurant about as far away from our home and still be in the Charlotte Metro as you can. So we rarely saw each other because I was up and out about 3.15, 3.30. And he was getting home around 1 o'clock in the morning. So it was crazy. But it was great. And I can't say it was easy because little kids and juggling all yeah. that is never easy. But it was very different. And while I had been a health reporter for a very long time, that's actually really one of the things I had done in my career from very early on, I never thought this is going to happen to my family. Right. I think, I think that's important too, because you're just going along doing life and uh, trying to figure out how to make it work, right? You know, you're trying to figure out how to get the kids to where they need to go, who's going to watch them, who's going to coordinate. And that's, that was just what was going on. And so then for your son's diagnosis comes, and I think, I think it's, it's actually humorous, the story, um, <laughs> because it's, um, cause it's, it's, it starts with a text and it's just, I'm so in all fairness for people who are listening, like I'm also a mom. I'm my husband and I are trying to figure this out too. Um, we're taking our kids everywhere. We both work full time. So a lot of our communications over text, we don't necessarily see each other and it's communicating that way. So that's exactly how this started, right? Yeah. My husband would text me around seven o'clock in the morning every day because we had a news break. So I wasn't reading the news. I could, you know, go to the bathroom, grab a cup of coffee, get a text from my husband. And he would text me every morning, we're doing great, or here's what we had for breakfast. And he texted me in October and said, you will not believe the amount of pee that came out of this kid. 
And I texted him back something like, well, haha, too bad it happened on your watch. I'm here at work drinking coffee, you know, or whatever. Right. And he took care of it, but he said it was unbelievable. It wasn't just he wet the bed, it was he wet the mattress. Right. You know, he wet the, it was coming out the floor. It was bad. But we didn't think too much of it. And we kind of went on with life. Then it happened again. And then we noticed other things that led us to the diagnosis. So how do you get from, because I I mean, I can think of things in my own life where I didn't know the signs. I didn't see the signs. And um, I, I looked at my memories the other day and I put like, Mom of the Year Award goes to to me when your three-year-old tells you to go to the doctor three days in a row, you should go. Yeah. Um, and I did, and we figured out what it was and everything like that. But, like, it took that, it took that many times. And, and sometimes you don't have that many times. So how did you figure out, um, okay, this is serious. Like, we need to, to talk to somebody about this. Well, the classic signs of type 1 diabetes, which used to be called juvenile diabetes, are extreme thirst extreme urination, being very tired, and weight loss. And some people are very sleepy and very irritable as well. And I had been, as I said, a health reporter for a long time. I knew just, just enough about type 1 that when I realized not only did this kid wet the bed every once in a while, as a not-yet-two-year-old will do, I mean, he was still in diapers, couldn't keep a dry diaper, Mm. was asking for milk, water, juice, Every time he finished, he'd finish one of those eight-ounce sippy cups and slam it down and more, you know. I mean, it was, it was funny at first, and then it was troubling. He was sleeping a lot, a lot more than he had been, and his personality changed, which was really the key. And it was Thanksgiving that we really noticed it, because it took that long. We went yeah. through October, we went through November, and then we had family at Thanksgiving. And not only was he sleeping during fun activities, he'd be having fun one minute, and then I got to rest. And it wasn't a nap. It was like, I am completely exhausted and need a timeout for a few minutes. But his attitude had changed. And my mom said, I think he's lost a little weight. So we called the pediatrician that Monday, and she said, bring him in, and we'll, rule, we'll just rule diabetes out. And of course, that's when we ruled it in. And he had lost three pounds. He went from 30 pounds to 27 pounds, which is quite a lot for a kid in a little kid. So it was scary. But that was what happened. And of course, looking back, we had so many other signs, just little things that we didn't think about. But we were lucky, because a lot of people don't catch type 1 diabetes in someone so tiny, or even someone older, until it's much, much more dangerous. So... Um then you have to go to the the hospital. I mean, you go to the pediatrician, right? And right. then and then they're like, okay, it's in, and now it's not just it's not like oh we can manage this blah blah blah. You're at the point where the, your kid's really sick. Oh, it was unbelievable. Well, it was a little scary because they initially do a fasting glucose test, which is what they normally do to test for any diabetes. So you don't eat all night. And they check your blood sugar with a finger stick first thing in the morning, and his blood glucose was normal, and that threw everybody off. Turns out, in retrospect, we were kind of early, so his body was able to kind of, I don't want to say fix itself overnight, but it was able to compensate in certain ways. But they took a blood draw, a hemoglobin A1C, which is pretty much the gold standard right now for diagnosing any type of diabetes, um, gave us some antibiotics because it turns out he had a urinary tract infection, which is a huge red flag because what two-year-old boy gets a urinary tract infection. It was very unusual. And he started feeling better right away because obviously that was painful and he was much better. But then when the A1C test came back, which took a couple of days, that indicated, no, 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 no. This child's blood sugar levels are dangerously elevated. And they called us and they didn't, they didn't want to scare us, but they, they were 
it was a phone call filled with urgency. Like, drop what you're doing, pack a bag, you're going to the hospital for at least three days. Wow. And I remember thinking, he's so much better. Why do I need to go now? Like, look at him, he's great. But he wasn't. And so we did, we went. Now, I, I don't want it to be so like doom and gloom because the reality is, is this is 12 years later? How many yeah, years Yeah, it'll later? be 13 years in December. So yeah, so I mean, you've come a long way and it's not like you're going to the hospital all the time. No, no. Right, right. I'm happy to answer any questions. No, we actually, knock on wood, and I will, we've not been back to the hospital for anything diabetes related since the diagnosis. Part of that is luck. Part of that is having a great endocrinologist. Part of that is being on top of things. But, you know, it is not, I can't, well, I was going to say I can't sugarcoat it. What a terrible thing to say with diabetes. <laughs> but you can't. It's, it kills people. There's, yeah. there, undiagnosed type 1 will kill you. And it does. Um, it's called DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, when your blood sugar levels are so high that the body starts shutting down. And we were very fortunate to catch it before that happened because what happens to a lot of people is they go into their pediatrician. The well-meaning pediatrician says, oh, it's cold and flu season. Lots of kids are thirsty. Oh, your kid plays sports. Lots of kids are thirsty. You know, they don't think. And a simple finger stick wouldn't have helped in our case because his fasting blood glucose was fine. You need that blood draw. So there are some interesting campaigns around the country to try to get more, not only pediatricians, but general practitioners, because adults get type 1 as well, another reason why they changed the name, to try to get more people to think about this. Because it's not like a cold. If you do not diagnose it correctly, it will kill you. And I hate to say that because I don't want to think about that hanging over my son, but it's the truth. But if you get diagnosed, it, it can save you. Oh, absolutely. Meaning that if you have the information, information is power, right? Uh, and, and I feel like what I love about your story is that you have that information and you're telling everybody you can oh. and you can think of how, about this. And so tell me how you get from... <laughs> oh my goodness, this is happening. I have to do this now. Okay, so now in, on top of like figuring out carpool schedules and things like that, now you're like, okay, I have these numbers. There's these things I have to think about that I don't think about with my other child. How did you do it? Okay, well, we started out, looking back, we realized it probably added about two hours to our day initially, okay. which floored us. But it really had to be done. So when you have type 1 diabetes, they, um, there are some different regimens, but m the most modern right now is that you dose insulin based on carb counting. So let's start on people who take multiple daily injections. You need shots. This is how we started out. They give you one shot of a long-acting insulin, and that lasts about 24 hours. Okay. Then you take short-acting insulin when you eat or when your blood sugar is high because it mimics the human pancreas. Like we don't realize the human body is amazing. It is. It's a miracle. If you have a working pancreas, the next time you eat, just say thank you to your pancreas because it's working right now. It's thinking about your next meal. It's thinking about your last meal. It's amazing. And so the you're trying to mimic when you have diabetes the workings of a, of a normal pancreas. So that means you're taking that one shot for the 24 hours, little releases, like a time release. Think mm -hmm. about it that way. Little releases of insulin throughout the day. And then fast acting when you eat. So my son's going to eat breakfast. What's he eating for breakfast? How many carbs are in it? Because we dose on the carbohydrates. Got we it. have a ratio. You know, one unit of insulin for every, you know, 25 carbs or whatever it is. So then you get your calculator out and you're like, this piece of toast, these eggs, this bacon, maybe some fruit. Okay, well, 
Interestingly, not all carbs are created equal. And when you eat fat and protein with the carbs, it changes, it, it changes everything. It changes the absorption. It changes how things break down in the body. And we came to learn even things that don't have carbs in them will break down later and become glucose in the body. Everything breaks down. So you become a carb counter. You become a nutritionist. You become an exercise physiologist. Oh, because exercise will bring your blood sugar down. Okay. Unless you're really excited, in which case your adrenaline will spike, which is a resistant hormone to insulin. So your insulin may go up. So, I mean, I'm throwing a lot at you. It's I know. I'm overwhelmed by it. And I'm guessing, and for people who are listening, if you are... If this is new to you, <laughs> understand that I'm talking to a 13-year expert, a, a mom who's gone through this. So it's it's not like you figured this out overnight. You figured this out. And I love this. Um, when you talk about your story, you made mistakes along oh, the way. Oh, boy. So let's – you've got a lot going on. but So you're a podcaster, mm -hmm. and, and you created a community. So f let's first talk about that. Tell, tell me about your podcast and why did you feel like there was a need for your podcast? Sure. So I started Diabetes Connections in the summer of 2015. I had been walking around thinking about it for a long time. I love podcasts. I'm a podcaster from when you actually had to use an iPod to plug into your computer and download to listen, which is where podcasts come from, right? Pod, iPod. Broadcast, no, that's where the word comes I from. I found it. my old shuffle. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I <laughs> said to a friend of mine, I said, guess what was all in my shuffle? It was all podcasts. Yeah. It was a bunch of podcasts. I, I've, been, I've been loving podcasts before I knew it was a big thing. Exactly. And I used to walk my dog and listen to podcasts. And as a radio person as well, I would talk back to them. And I would, why aren't you asking this question? Yes. Why aren't you? And there are some wonderful, wonderful diabetes podcasts, but most of them are storytelling podcasts from, uh, from the point of view of a, an adult with type 1 who's sharing stories. They're telling about their own lives. They're having conversations. It's wonderful. And boy, did it help me a lot. But they wouldn't have what you and I would consider newsmakers on. Like, I want to hear from the CEO of Lilly. I want to talk to the guy who makes my son's insulin pump. I want to ask questions oh. about this company, that expert. How did that NFL football player get where he is? Did his mom worry about him in high school like I worry about my kid? Of course. Yeah. So I said, I've got to do this. But, you know, I was so concerned about the technical side. I had worked in broadcasting my entire career, but I was in front of the camera. I was in front of the microphone. I didn't, you know, I had a technical producer and a sound engineer. I didn't, I knew to do what I wanted to do. I had to do it on my own schedule and I had to do it myself. Up in my attic in Davidson, I had to be able to do this. And until I found someone who helped me, thank you, Chris Snyder, who he used a podcast for a very long time and he now works at Tidepool, which is a great diabetes company. And he really helped me set it up. And once I set it up, I said, oh, this is easy. What was I worried about? It was great. I'm sorry. All due respect to people who have no, technical I'm, engineers. <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm, I was saying I, the only reason why there's Do, Do Good Charlotte is because I have the Queen City Podcast Network. It's because I have that team. I'm not right. doing this right. right. out you're of my attic. Right, time and you're doing right. other things. Right. But right. I, I knew I could take the time and I knew how to edit audio and I knew how to, I knew the basics. Right. Radio. I mean, you have a good, yeah. good foundation. I knew, what, <laughs> I knew how to talk into a microphone. I knew where to put the microphone, you know. So it worked out really, really well. And at first, I, I thought the show was going to be all about connection. You know, you mentioned community. The diabetes community, we call it the DOC, the Diabetes Online Community, Great. is incredible. And it is what 
you you asked me about this earlier and I didn't I didn't answer it directly. You know, how did I get there? How did I how am I okay after this crazy diagnosis? Because just about the time that Benny was diagnosed in 2006 is when blogging was catching on. Mm. So I was able to find just a handful of adult bloggers. There weren't a lot of mom bloggers about type 1 who said, "Hey, I've had diabetes for 20 years and here's what my life is like." And I latched on. Like, "Oh, you're doing okay? You you moved out of your mom's house?" You know, oh my gosh, you have a baby? You have a job? And it was this beacon of hope. Like, what are these people doing? What's the secret? And I found people in the community. So when I started the podcast, I interviewed all those people that had helped me. And in the very beginning, I thought it was going to be all about teaching people to make connections. So the first five episodes or so are all about, well, how did you find people and how did you do this? And it's because got that's a, what you were looking right, for. Right. It got a little repetitive. So we changed it up and made it more hard news interviews. Um, some I call it information and inspiration. So I'll talk to, quote, everyday people. Like one of my favorites is the guy who owns an ice cream shop. And he and his daughter have type 1 diabetes. So he gets a bajillion questions. You know, can you eat that? What are you doing? La, la, la. He can eat that. It's fine. But then I talk to the professional football players and, you know, people on TV who have type 1. And it's really fun. And it's been incredibly rewarding. It, it, I wasn't sure I, how long I would do it. I don't know when I'm going to stop. It's been remarkable. Well, and I think for for me, one of the benefits of doing this is that I'm constantly inspired. So yeah. I love having this conversation yeah. because you're inspiring me. And it's and, and I think that that's why podcasters continue to keep on yeah. doing what they're doing. But I what I think is great about you is that you're helping yourself but you're helping others in the process because when you're getting that information in your podcast, you're sharing it with your audience. And so then those other moms who couldn't find that blog that they needed, they find the podcast and, and they're getting that information. And now you are writing a book and so, or you've written a book because <laughs> it's done. You're ready to go. Um, and, and the title, and I, I was saying that I could relate to this because you called yourself the world's worst <laughs> diabetes mom. I'm not a diabetes mom, but I there's definitely time I think all moms go through this need to be perfect. Need to be to the world. I got it all going on. I have it it's all put together behind closed doors. We got it all, you know, we're we're great. Mom mom doesn't have any problems. Mom can handle anything. And reality is perfection is a myth. It's impossible. It's impossible. So what I love is that you're just jumping right into it from the title and you're saying mistakes happen. Yeah. This journey is not going to be easy. Um, and so tell me about some of those mistakes or how have you learned from those mistakes? Sure. I'll start out by saying that I, I agree with all of that. There's so much pressure to be perfect right now. And when you have a child with a chronic condition, you have this added voice in your head saying, if I mess this up, What's really going to happen, right? What's the consequence? It's very scary. Yeah. But at the same time, if I protect him too much, if I don't let him do the sleepover or the football game or whatever it is, what's the consequence of that? It's very difficult to balance that when you have a child with a chronic condition. There is so much fear around. The, the, in the diabetes community, I can't speak for others, but I know it's out there as well. So the mistakes I made were plentiful and arrived early. Um, I would do things. I mean, I'd never given an insulin shot before. In my, you know, I'd never given a shot before. Yeah, you're I not had a nurse. No medical right. training. So they taught us in the hospital, and the 
you know, the first night home, I go in his room and I'm all set and I'm ready to go. I never thought about the crib. I never once thought, how am I going to give him a shot in the crib? Right? Am I going to reach over? Am I going to lower the crib slats? I never thought, I decided I wasn't going to give him a shot. I walked out of the room. I said, forget this. I'm not waking him up. I got to the door and I said, Stacy, get it together. You cannot, you cannot not give this kid a shot. You ha- this is it. He's relying on you. It's, and it was, it was all mixed up in, you know, diabetes is now in my house, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to acknowledge it. I decided that through the crib slats was the way to go. Good advice, by the way. I think that's the way to go. Um, and we did it. But I did things like, uh, one time I tried, we didn't use his stomach very much because you kind of need a little bit of fat to give a shot. And his stomach was so lean. Mm. But I said, okay, we've got to rotate shots. It's not good for you to do it in the same place. So I did it in his stomach. And then I squirted myself with insulin. And what had happened was it went in and came out like a sewing needle. It was gross. And I squirted myself and I looked down and it's got this, the needle's like sticking out of his skin. He's cracking up. He thought it was the funniest thing ever, my two-year-old. So what else? I put insulin in my mouth once by mistake because it got on my hand and then I touched my lip. I called the endo every single time, our endocrinologist, every single time I did this. I mean, the book is full of mistakes because I think you learn from that. We made more. I mean, those are funny. We made other mistakes like, you know, he would have a blood sugar low at an unexpected time he would be very high at an unexpected time. I mean, it it goes on and on because every step towards independence or every new milestone is a, you know, has potential for disaster. And we learned that mistakes do not equal disaster. They equal learning moments, moments when you realize your child is resilient, and moments when you look back, your child says, I knew I can get through that, so I'm confident I can get through this. So... In your book, you wrote, our journey so far has been full of challenges, stress, some mistakes, and lots of learning, but it's also been full of laughter, love, and joy. If you, so I, I think that's what's wonderful, is that it doesn't, one doesn't cancel out the other. Um, so we're going to talk more about your book after this break. This is Pamela Escobar. You're listening to Do Good Charlotte. After the break, you'll hear more from the world's worst <laughs> diabetes mom. <laughs> How many servings of fruits and vegetables should you be eating? This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by OrthoCarolina. The magic number is five. Three servings of vegetables and two servings of fruits have been connected to lower risk of certain cancers, stroke, and heart disease. Fruits and vegetables are a great source of essential vitamins and minerals in addition to plenty of fiber to maintain a healthy gut and reduce the risk of colon cancer. And they're high in vitamin C and potassium. If five servings seems like a lot, consider starting your daily vegetables with your first meal of the day. Snack on fruits and vegetables instead of whatever your current go-to snacks are. Use vegetables as the main ingredients in other dishes like baked goods and chili. And whenever you can, get fresh vegetables, especially in the summer when they are in season. This has been your 60-second wellness tip powered by OrthoCarolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. What I wanted to ask you is, what do you want readers to take away from your book? I think the message here is that it's okay in parenting 
to mess up. And I don't want it to come across as, oh, clumsy me, look at me, I'm such a ditz. You know, no. there's some of these personas I think that people put on sometimes, especially with women, that, you know, we, we are afraid of being perceived as competent or intelligent. I know that may sound silly, but you see it. You see it on, online where it's like, oh, I couldn't possibly be, that wasn't me. Or This is not that. This is. No, I know I'm, you know. I'm sitting right here and I'm like, you're a smart, intelligent <laughs> woman. And so I, I want to hear what you've learned. And I appreciate that you're willing to admit that yeah. you make mistakes because I think that there's the other thing where it's, um, you just you don't want to let people in. You want to you want to be known for your intelligence. I, I think maybe that might be a former newscaster person yeah. personality trait. <laughs> right. But um, so no, I don't I don't think this is like oh I'm a dumb blonde and I don't know what I'm doing. It's more right. about like um, it's just reality. No one's perfect. We can't do it always right. But it's okay. We're gonna get through this. Exactly. And I think that the message here is that it's okay to try things that don't always work. And it's okay to share that. Um, in the diabetes community, there is a newer phenomenon where in the last 10 years, continuous glucose monitoring has started, which is a fantastic thing. And that is, there are different brands, but you wear a device, it sits under the skin, you insert it at home, it's not a medical procedure, you change it out, we change ours every 10 days, there's other devices, you change at different times, and it will read the uh, glucose in your interstitial fluid. So instead of poking your finger and getting a number, it's beaming the number to a receiver or a phone. And it's wonderful. However, it also gives you a number 24-7. So it's a new way of measuring how well am I doing and how well is my child doing. And as with human nature, people start to compare. Mm -hmm. So now there's this phenomenon of people posting wonderfully perfect blood sugars all around the clock, which is not a realistic thing for most people with type 1, and certainly not a realistic thing for children. But also, I'm, again, I'm not part of this community. Sure. I'm learning all this. But it's also sort of like one of those things like stepping on the scale. Like, yeah, you could step on the scale multiple times a day, but what is that really serving? Like, what right. is the purpose of that? So, well, like, it can be negative. It I can be think. very negative. In, in, in the life of someone with type 1, it is incredibly helpful. I will say that. Having a continuous glucose monitor has changed our management in the best way. It is a wonderful <laughs> tool. Yeah. No, it's a wonderful tool. It really is. However, it's the sharing of it. So what I found, to get back to the message of the book, what I found was when we shared the lousy, like, look what a rough night we had. Or my son managed this sleepover all by himself. So these numbers may look terrible to you, but I'm counting this as a win. When He's a I rock star. Yeah. When I shared the quote unquote bad stuff or the failures... I was amazed because I was really nervous to do it. I was afraid people would kind of, you know, you're terrible. But instead, the response was fabulous. It was, oh, that happened to me. I didn't want to share that. I was afraid I was the only one. It is such a difficult condition to manage, and perfection is not an option. Now, as I say in the book, look, I want to go on a baseline and say, we are very healthy. We are very diligent. We are managing, you know, my endocrinologist knows where Benny is. He's in great, great shape, especially for a teenager with type 1. I don't share health information, so I never share his exact numbers. I'll show a graph here and there. So when I say things like, look at this terrible graph, it comes from a place of, he's fine, right? You don't want someone with a 14A1C, which is a very high A1C, a very scary A1C. You don't want someone like that saying, hey, look at my graph. I don't care. That's a different story. No, it's not that you don't care. Yeah. It's you're, you're talking about right. this is how we're doing it. This but is I'm how hoping, we get there. Yeah, I'm hoping the book will let newer diagnosed families realize that 
life can go on and they don't have to be perfect to have a perfectly healthy child. Mm -hmm. And I hope that families that have been diagnosed for a longer time will look at it and maybe start sharing their own mistake stories, right? Because I think we're scared to show that Mm -hmm. in any kind of parenting. Absolutely. And you were saying that you wanted to talk a little bit more about diabetes. You just wanted to give some more information because uh, look, not... I don't think people who care about diabetes might necessarily be coming to the Do Good Charlotte podcast, but um, but if they are... Well, here's what I think. If you're listening right now, you know somebody with diabetes, and either it's type 1, type 2, gestational, and if I... Thank you for letting me do a quick PSA. It is such a misunderstood, misunderstood condition, right? Um, it is unbelievable. The jokes, the punchlines, the hashtag. I mean, how many times do you see uh, Ice Cream Sunday hashtag diabetes, right? It's... It's ridiculous. No other condition gets drop kicked and made fun of like diabetes. So with all that blame and shame, whenever I can, I like to talk briefly about type 2 diabetes. And I also want to talk about misdiagnosed type 2 diabetes. So if you or someone you know is living with type 2 and they're feeling shamed about what they're eating, about how they're managing it, it's nobody's business but them and their doctors. Yes, many cases of type 2 can be controlled with diet and exercise, and that's fabulous. But you know what? If you have a very strong genetic component, if you've had it for a long time, it's a disease of progression. One third of people with type 2 are on insulin. And a lot of those people feel terrible about it, or they won't go on insulin because they think they've failed. That's the sign of failure with type 2, that you need insulin. It is not. The only person you need to talk to about it is your doctor. Figure out what's best for you and move on. But if you've been diagnosed with type 2 and it doesn't feel right, if you're really hungry all the time, if you're really thin, or if your A1C is staying high and you're doing everything quote unquote right, if your doctor is now calling you non-compliant and you feel like you don't have a good relationship, ask your endo or find another one about LADA, which is latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. It's a form of type one diabetes and it's misdiagnosed all the time. I read a study recently, 30% of people with type one diabetes who are diagnosed as adults are initially misdiagnosed with type two. And that misdiagnosis can last up to 10 years, which is frightening with type one diabetes. It can cause all sorts of complications later on. LADA is also called type 1.5, which every time I bring up, people think is fake. It really is a real condition. Type one in kids presents acutely, dangerously, quickly, like with my son. But sometimes in adults, type one is very, very slow. So you can see why a doctor would think it was type two. It's LADA. You can look it up, it exists, I didn't make it up. And every time I give a talk, I promise you within the next three months, somebody who hears this is gonna say, I either passed along the information or I myself was misdiagnosed. It's wild, Pam, it really is. So thanks for letting me give my little PSA. Absolutely, no, and I think that that's, what's great is that, again, you're immersed in this community. Yeah. Um, you, you're not a doctor, you're not trying to be a doctor, but you're trying to get information to each other. And, and I think that that's super helpful. So if people are interested in reading about the world's worst <laughs> diabetes mom, um, and we're laughing because you're uh, clearly you're not the worst, um, but it's, it's, it's tongue in cheek, the title, yeah. but it's memorable. How can people find it? And it's not for sale yet, right? We're, we're, we got to wait until November. Yeah, well, it's on my website. It's at diabetes-connections.com. Um, it'll be on Amazon and all the good places like that, the national stuff on November 3rd. 
Okay, so that's easy to look. Oh, sorry, that's easy to look for. Then um, it's going to be paperback. There's an ebook, and I'm working on the audiobook, which should be out by November third, but might be a, a couple of days behind. Yeah, so we're very excited about that. And the podcast is at diabetes-connections.com as well. Right, so people can expect to learn more about the story, hear the journey, and and get resources too from there. I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and that has you know all of the podcast episodes, um, and and different conversations we've had. There's some news articles there. Um, there's some links to other organizations that I work with in the diabetes community. So if you're interested in learning more, it is mostly focused on type 1 and people with type 2 who take insulin. Because if you're taking insulin, you need a way to monitor yourself, whether that's through checking often or using a continuous glucose monitor. So there's a lot of information out there. A lot of information, but put it in one book so people can just, it, you know, it's easy reading versus tr doing all the homework that you've done over 12 years. And continue to do, man. We're still learning because at every age it changes. I mean, you think about how your kids are growing up and your seven-year-old is not the same kid he was at two. Uh, all those all those growth hormones, man, they're all insulin resistant. It's a, it's a bananas show. I was going to say something else, but it's a clean podcast. It's crazy town once you get to puberty. Yeah. Well, I think that that's for all <laughs> kids. No, no and doubt. And then add on top of it something else that you're managing. So again, you just, you're constantly learning. And then he's going to learn too, as an adult, how to pick up and do it on his own yeah. too. So that's something I'm, I'm sure that you're, you're working and focusing on. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Stacy. Thanks for sharing more about juvenile diabetes and diabetes in general and inspiring others to do good. Do you know someone else like Stacy who is doing good in our community? Let me know. Tell me about someone or a nonprofit organization that should be heard on Do Good Charlotte. Reach out to me, Pamela Escobar, on social media. I'm Reporter Pam on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or go to the Queen City Podcast Network page and fill out the contact form for Do Good Charlotte. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. I'm Pamela Escobar. Thanks for listening to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Mm -hmm.